I'm Nikki Kristoff, and welcome to Teched Up. Today in the studio, I'm joined by Denise Jung from Accenture. She explains why nobody has legs in the metaverse yet, and also talks through some pretty cool real-life, right-now business use cases for the new technology. She shares the questions we should be asking as we shape this new tech that will undoubtedly shape our future. Today in the studio, I have Denise Jung. Welcome. Thank you, Nikki. It's great to be here. We have you today. We've captured you to tell us what the metaverse is. What is it? What's it going to do? You're working on this. And I'm really grateful because I think people have no idea. It's a really great question. And, you know, there's a ton of hype around the term metaverse and people kind of define it however they want. And I think, you know, the the clearest, most crisp way to think about the metaverse is it's really a combination of technologies. It's new interfaces and new economies. So if you think about the new interfaces, we're really talking about more immersive virtual experiences, more, you know, what you would typically call virtual reality or augmented reality. Some people refer to it as mixed reality as well. Those are the new interfaces. Wait, hang on one sec. I think I'm in a mixed reality right now because I wanted to start with who you are. (laughs) (laughs) I thought we were going to start that way, too, but it's fine. No, we're going to go back. Go back. We're going to go back because we can time hop in the metaverse. (laughs) Denise, tell me about your background. You have a really kind of extraordinary bio, but there are a few pieces of it that are kind of extra sexy. Tell me a little bit about your background, how you got into tech, what you've done in tech, and then what your current job is. Yeah, sure. So I started my career really working on U.S.-China policy and looking at the Asian financial crisis. Then I made kind of a hard pivot, actually, into technology. And it was just, you know, circumstances of the job, to be honest. I had an amazing opportunity to me, and it was to help manage a cybersecurity commission. It was focused on creating an agenda for the Obama administration, essentially. So I made a pivot. I started working on cybersecurity issues, managed the CSIS Cybersecurity Commission, came out with 40-some recommendations, and it became kind of a roadmap for how the Obama administration, even parts of it, were taken by the Trump administration and enacted. So that's kind of how I got my start in tech policy, focusing on cybersecurity. I then, you know, went to work for on Capitol Hill. I drafted cyber legislation, eventually left the Hill and did a couple other things, but it eventually went to the Defense Department where I worked at DARPA. Have you ever heard of DARPA? I know DARPA, but people listening may not know DARPA. Can you explain what it is? So it stands for the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, and it's probably best known for inventing the internet. I know. It was not Al Gore. It was DARPA. It was DARPA. Exactly. And the way DARPA works is, you know, they bring together really brilliant people that have big ideas, usually academics, and they give them a chunk of money and they say, go and try to create breakthrough technology in the span of like two to five years. And you only go for that short period of time. And usually you're trying to solve a really particular problem for the Defense Department using technology. And the whole goal is, you know, to create strategic surprise is what, you know, the, the mantra is. Ooh, I like it. So So for our defense capabilities, we want to create strategic surprise. Exactly. And that was because when the Russians launched Sputnik many, many years ago, it was a huge surprise to to the U.S. government that the Russians had this capability. And so DARPA was eventually founded to create a focused 
R&D effort within the U.S. military that's, you know, their task was to create strategic surprise and to prevent it in the future. The surprise to the U.S., that is. Okay. I did not know any of this. And I felt like I knew a lot about DARPA. And now I'm going to start trying to create strategic surprise in you my should. life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're working on that. And what specific project were you focused on? So I was focused on a number of different projects. I worked in the Information Innovation Office, which is basically the part of DARPA that's most focused on AI, cyber, and at the time, we called it big data. You know, this was like 2013. So I worked on a program called Plan X, which was focused on trying to create new capabilities, new platforms for the military to conduct computer network operations, or in other words, cyber warfare. We were really focused on creating new interfaces. So it's really hard to visualize what like a cyber battle space looks like. It's like, you know, boxes and lines of machines connected to each other, zero and ones, command lines, things like that. And the idea was, could we, you know, sort of create a a visualization of the cyber battle space, allow for cyber warriors to traverse it as if they were playing a video game. Mm -hmm. And that was actually my first time coming into contact with Oculus, with working with virtual reality headsets. That was one small part of the program, but it kind of ties back to what I'm doing today, actually, at Accenture. So this is a great segue into the metaverse, I think, and I'm going to ask you to help explain what the metaverse is. But essentially what you're talking about is helping the Department of Defense take binary code and turn it into a three-dimensional simulation so that there's a better way for people to attach and understand how it would play out. That's one way to think about it. Yeah. Okay, that's not it's exactly right, but it's close. The, the, the workflow, how a computer network operator engages with their work and gamifying it. Gamifying it. Okay. So you're now another hard pivot. You've done other things in addition to this, including working at the Business Roundtable, helping CEOs and companies navigate issues, especially we know each other actually through that work exactly, and helping yeah. tech CEOs sort of engage in Washington. What are you doing now? You're at Accenture, but you're in charge of the yes. responsible metaverse. <laughs> I'm in. So let me start with how I got to Accenture. Great. So when I went to Accenture, I took on a role to lead strategic initiatives for our CEO, Julie Sweet. And incredible role. And, you know, about a year into it, we launched what we call the Metaverse Continuum Business Group at Accenture. And essentially, I wear two hats. So I lead software and platforms metaverse. So our business focused on providing metaverse-related services to software and platforms companies. And then I also lead responsible innovation in the metaverse. And I think, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a huge area of focus for us, responsible innovation, because trust and safety, privacy, security, those types of issues are sort of front of mind for consumers when they decide whether or not they want to engage. I think most people, when I say the word metaverse, start thinking, is this a place where I want to be? Is this going to be yeah, a place right. that's safe for my children, for my family? Do we have to colleagues? go there? Exactly. And so I, I wear both of those hats at Accenture today. And I guess I have, I think I've heard you say this before, that one question consumers have that I have is, is the metaverse just going to be social media, but worse? You know, consumers are pretty split on this. Okay. We actually did a survey, 19 countries, about 18,000 people of all different demographics and age groups. And about 50% of them think it's going to be just as bad as social media. The other 50% are evenly split between those who think it's going to be better and then those who actually think it's going to be much worse. 
So I think, you know, it's safe to say that with the metaverse, we're kind of at this fork in the road that, you know, 50% kind of just think it's business as usual. It's just an extension of social media. But the other 50%, which is which is really a significant, you know, sort of, you know, cohort, we can still win them over if we do the right thing. And that means ensuring that we're designing the metaverse and using the metaverse responsibly from the start. So help me understand. So I want to talk a little bit more about the technicalities and kind of the concept of the metaverse, because sometimes I'll just say this, like Web3 to me in some ways feels like a marketing term. I get the concept. It's a more decentralized version of the internet. I know that's a piece of the metaverse. I've actually heard you explain the metaverse as a combination of XR, AI, and Web3, which relatable. (laughs) You can dive into that explanation if you want. But I want to talk a little bit more about conceptually what it is. Like, is it one place we're all going to be in? Is each company going to create different metaverses? And then I, I want to, after we sort of really figure that out, talk about positive use cases, because I am, which is ironic because I work in technology, quite cynical, often about use cases of technology. I think sometimes it brings out the worst in us. And I do have concerns about safety and replicating harms that already exist on the internet into this new space. But before we get to that, you're helping companies think about the metaverse. Is it different spaces? Is it What does it mean exactly? How are we going to get into the metaverse? There's a lot of baggage attached to the term metaverse. And I think it's probably best to just sort of disaggregate what it is and understand what technology is underpin it. So there is the XR, the AI, the Web3. But I I think an even simpler way to think about it is there's new interfaces and sort of new markets and new economies that are created by it. Okay. There isn't going to be one single metaverse, one single virtual world that we all engage in. It's really, you know, VR, AR, MR technologies reality, essentially, right? So think some of the headsets we're starting to see, but it's also, you know, 2D, augmented reality, things layered on top of physical spaces, right? And and a, a range of different devices that you can use to actually interact with these types of environments from your phone to a headset. Okay. So that's the, the, the new interfaces piece. Would an example of that, and I am truly dating myself, and also this was way before its time, but when Google Glass came out, which I actually straight up wore around DC, there is a photo of me on the internet. That and is a form of augmented reality for sure. Right. And yeah. it had we could you could see in a little box on the upper right hand side of your vision field, you could see things like text messages. Like it would basically be a, an overlay onto like exactly. the real world. So that was a really, really, really basic version of augmented reality. Today, you know, we have much more sophisticated technology, I would say. So Yes. But it could be like that. It could be a layer on top of your regular life. That's augmented reality. Exactly. Okay. It's a layer. It's a digital layer on top of a physical environment. Okay. And then there is sort of a more immersive experience. There's a more immersive experience, which is called virtual reality, VR. And that's fully immersive, right? So you're in this entirely virtual space. It, You know, the physical space around you, mapping it and knowing its boundaries is more for your personal safety than it is actually affecting the experience inside the headset. Then there's something called mixed reality, okay, where you have physical spaces and virtual overlays on top of it kind of mixed together and a physical object through this interface you could actually pick up and manipulate right but you can also introduce entirely virtual or digital objects as well and manipulate them in the same way so 
you know, there's there's the three sort of AR, VR, MR. Okay. <laughs> and together, people often refer to it as extended reality or okay. XR. I do not think people know that. So that's a big part of the metaverse. That's great. You've literally clarified something. Okay, so the interfaces being these different ways you can plug into different amounts of augmented, extended, immersive immersive realities to the extent that you would be using it maybe for your job, maybe for gaming and entertainment. The use cases are endless, really. So we believe that it's going to be transforming consumer experiences. It'll transform the way enterprises also do work. In fact, a great example is how we're applying the metaverse at Accenture for our own onboarding and learning process. For our people, we have 700 and about 60,000 people at this point globally, and a significant chunk of them actually onboarded to Accenture as new joiners through what we call the nth floor, a virtual oh my version gosh. of Accenture. Okay. And it's that's like the John during... Malkovich floor. <laughs> you crawl in. And and that's and that's because, you know, during the pandemic, we hired a lot of new people that never got to set foot into our office. And so we created a photorealistic version of our offices and allowed people to go in there, explore, have water cooler conversations. So that's an example of an enterprise use. I am very for this. So we were talking before we started recording about people going into the office or not going into the office. And I, my small company has a hybrid model. So I like that. I'm for that version of the metaverse. Yeah, exactly. And that doesn't feel so creepy to you, does it? No, it feels constructive. So I think in a business case or a training, you could see like surgery. Maybe being a useful thing, people training for space. I'm making stuff up. I don't know. You're exactly right. So we did some work for a hospital provider in Mexico, actually created a, a VR training experience to train some of their surgeons on procedures. And it's highly effective. We worked with a major retailer, one of the largest to create learning experiences for their new associates using VR and found that, you know, 70% more retention of the knowledge and the skills that they develop through the training. So we're finding immersive experiences is really good for learning. It's really good for training. And you could see where, I mean, there's so, so many studies on how I mean, the reason I really like to do in-person conversations for the podcast is you get so much more information on how you're communicating with the other person. You lose some of that when you're on video. And maybe this could, I mean, I guess we'll see with studies, replace a little bit of that communication input so that you can actually have a better, more connective experience than like Zoom, which they've done a lot of studies that you actually lose an enormous amount of normal human connection. Not to mention that everyone's looking at the wrong part of their screen. They're not looking into the camera. We've been doing that for like how many years? We're not looking at each other. Yeah, I think that's right. Absolutely. We're also seeing, though, on the sort of enterprise and industrial side, something called digital twins. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. So it's essentially using, creating an exact replica of a physical industrial facility or manufacturing process or machinery. And there's real advantage in being able to create that replica and then run tests and simulations on it. Because it's, for example, a jet engine is very expensive. It's very capital intensive investment. And what the metaverse or digital twin technologies allows you to do is create a digital replica of it, be able to manipulate elements of the machinery, test it, simulate it, optimize it, before you go into production. And, you know, that type of work is really transformative for industrial use cases. Mars Skittles is actually a great example of a company who's leveraging this technology. Okay. And it's just... Wait, what's Skittles doing? Oh, for their... Before they start making Skittles. 
I guess I don't know what they're doing for their factories to make it more efficient ahead of time. Exactly. To make it more efficient, reduce waste, figure out how they're going to plan their factory. Even, you know, for example, figure out how many Skittles should go in a bag. I mean, actually, this is really fascinating because it's a concrete use case. Presumably it would be then like physically creating this stuff, counting your Skittles and then like changing it. You could do it through a computer program so you're not actually building everything out and then having to retool it. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so I'm for that. I also have I have a friend who is an architect for hospitals and specifically works on children's hospitals and has talked about a way of when these kids are really isolated when they're in treatment, could they use the metaverse to connect, play, engage when they are in these unusual situations? I don't know if you guys are doing any work on that, but I think it's another positive possible use case. Absolutely. I mean, I think the 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 ability to allow for people to reconnect with their loved ones and friends through the metaverse is something that a lot of companies are exploring. We, you know, it's not a perfect example, but one that may be related is work that we did to help a social services organization actually create some training to help their social workers understand how to spot domestic violence within uh, a home situation. And you can imagine, you know, being able to spot things on the kitchen table or things in the home that just signal that something is off here. And and then also managing, you know, how you interact with the individuals in the household in a way that's compassionate to them, respectful of them, but also enables you to to intervene. Right. And that type of training is is work that we actually did for a social services organization. And it's proven to be enormously valuable for their people. When I was at Uber, we did something actually a couple shout outs to Delta Airlines, UPS and FedEx do a good job with this. But they see Uber drivers. They see a lot of things other people don't see when it comes to sex trafficking. So we would try to give just facts to drivers on if you see certain things, certain characteristics of your writers, you might be seeing a person who's being trafficked and then who they could call to call in. But it would be much easier, I think, for them to retain that if they sort of saw it visually as opposed to like we're handing out worksheets that they're reading. You know, I think it would actually imprint it better on people who learn visually. Right. It puts you into the actual situation and it simulates the almost as if it was in real life, right? And and I think that type of training, that type of experience is invaluable. Yeah. So then we do have to talk a little bit about the harms and sort of the rabbit hole this could go down and what you're specifically thinking about to prevent that outcome. So when I think of the metaverse, I often think of the sort of most, you know, there's so many parts of the internet that are so ugly and unsafe for people especially for women, but and for people of color. And and a lot of people aren't even represented on the internet. And I think we're seeing tons of information on social media and phone addiction. What are what's sort of a plan around making it a better version of whatever the next technological advances look like? So I'm actually a little bit more optimistic than you. You could not be less optimistic. (laughs) It would not be possible. I think I'm a little more optimistic than you because this time around, we know what the harms are. Great point. Right. When social media, when gaming was first introduced, we didn't really know what to expect. But now I think we have the benefit of many lessons learned from those experiences that we know kind of what we need to fix early on and what kind of principles and practices and norms and, frankly, technologies we need to build to enable a much more sort of responsible, more use of this technology. 
I think it's really important that we prioritize privacy, security, and safety issues. Those are the top. You mentioned as well some of the challenges around diversity, inclusion, sustainability. Those obviously are very, very important. We need to design the metaverse so that it's human-centric, right? But from a privacy, security, and safety standpoint, we found that consumers care about that the most. And that means I think companies need to lean forward. They need to lean further forward than they have in the past and think about, you know, what privacy controls to put in place, not just, you know, privacy by design, but privacy by default. Yes. Right. And from a safety standpoint, you know, I I think a lot more innovation needs to take place between companies to build the data sets, the tools, the platforms to enable much better digital safety in these virtual spaces. A great example of collaboration is actually the the photo DNA effort that soft along with other companies and government agencies have really swarmed around to identify child sexual exploitation material. We need more concerted efforts like that focused on, you know, what are the harms in the metaverse and how to detect them and frankly take them down. There are obviously a lot of issues around civil liberties and privacy and, you know, and, and speech issues here as well. So we constantly need to make sure that we're striking the right balance. It's not going to be easy. It's definitely not going to be easy. But what I'm seeing today that I didn't see in the past is that this conversation has started almost before the technology has become widely adopted. And I think because of that, I'm much more optimistic then, then perhaps you, Nikki. Yes, no, that, and which makes a lot of sense because I think it is a good point to think about when we, you know, I was working at Google before we had the iPhone. So when we first started to have social media, no one could have anticipated some of the externalities that we've seen. We know that they exist now and we know how people feel about their privacy, how people feel about their kids being in new environments. And I think that that's a really important point, which is we're not starting. It's not like a novel situation. We know that when things go virtual, these are some of the potential outcomes. So building around that and thinking about it ahead of time could avoid some of it. And I definitely think thinking about technical solutions that can be layered on top of or built into from the beginning some of the harms within virtual spaces is important. And we are doing this before it's widely adopted because it's not widely adopted yet. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting just to think about some of the features as well. Like, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Accenture, we we are probably the largest enterprise metaverse, the, the one that we built for our own people. And what we noticed is there are some really important sort of privacy features that still haven't been been developed yet. So when you're having a conversation in a room, for example, in a large space in the real world, you can kind of have confidence that, you know, private conversation in the corner of the room is in fact private. Right. But if you're in this virtual space and you're talking actually in the virtual space with a group of people in one corner, can you have the confidence and know that people across the space can't hear you? Right. That feature doesn't exist yet. We should be able to, you know, signal or even provide some sort of like a like a confidentiality bubble around mm-hmm. people in this virtual space so that they can they know, okay, the conversation I'm having here is in fact private. Nobody across the room can hear me. That's just a design feature. Right. Right. And, you know, those are the types of things that still need to be innovated. And it is at the front of our mind in a way that I never thought about. I really never thought about a lot of the things that we now deal with on a daily basis on, say, Twitter or other social media apps. It it never occurred to me, however many years ago, that this is what 
it, what it would look like and how it would play out. So thinking about this ahead of time, I had no idea. Maybe we'll end on this. I had no idea that Accenture, that like that you, Denise, were hanging out in the metaverse, <laughs> <laughs> asking for a confidentiality bubble <laughs> feature. <laughs> it is kind of funny to think about, isn't it? You know, we. I think I mentioned this. We have 160,000 people that we've onboarded into the metaverse. That is wild. Isn't you did, that wild? You did not mention it. And I think that that's maybe the point, which is... We've had board meetings in the metaverse. You have? our board. Yeah. It's so funny. The last time I did a board meeting, it was just a conference call. And I kept introducing myself, although I was the only woman on the call out of like you know, all the lawyers and everybody else, I kept saying, oh, it's Nikki, which I got to be honest, not the best experience. <laughs> I think the metaverse would have been helpful to be able to kind of read what was happening. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, we did get some, you know, questions about why don't I have legs in the metaverse? For why example, don't people have don't... legs in the metaverse? Because Mark Zuckerberg doesn't either. Yeah. You know, they're working on it. They're working on it. And I think it's just it's tricky to sort of sync the movement of the legs I and see. the arms with the body in the metaverse and have it represent how your limbs are actually moving in real life. OK. And it can be really disorienting to a user if they sort of see their limbs moving in a way that does not actually reflect how it's moving in the real world. So it's that, you know, that that sort of unsettling feeling. The uncanny might, valley or yeah, whatever the they call it. Whatever they call it. <laughs> right. So there's, there's you know, research and development that's been going into that. I think we're going to see some pretty significant improvements. I mean, it's cutting edge. So this is why I'm very grateful you came in to talk about this, because to me, sometimes I'm like, is the metaverse just a marketing term? And I think Understanding that there are big companies thinking really deliberately about how other companies are going to build these tools for people in ways that are constructive, helpful, educational, great for training, helping factories be more efficient. I could be convinced. You might have convinced me. Good. That was my plan all along. Oh, good. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. We're going to drop a few things into the show notes on links to what Accenture is working on. But I'm really grateful for you taking the time, Denise. It's great to be here. In our next episode, Bloomberg reporter Emily Birnbaum and I break down the big Supreme Court case that could change everything about how the Internet operates. I was able to watch arguments for Gonzalez v. Google in person, and the main reason to do that is to catch each justice's vibes. And the vibes were not good. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss our conversation. 